Till it's gone Like it or not Never love We try to do what's right We all here waiting For our silver invitation To the big band Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello, and this is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal, episode 191. And before we bring Sal on, I just want to thank our audience and our subscribers, 18,200 subscribers now and going strong. Make sure you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review so we can battle the podcast world analytics much like we do in baseball, and we can keep providing you great content like we do here on The Hot Corner every week. Get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I answer one question live every day to an audience member, and everybody else gets responses back privately. Last I checked, and this was early, it was up over 400. So um, I'm sure it's climbing as I speak right now. 72 countries now, grassroots MLB front offices. Uh, we appreciate the landscape of our audience. We're just trying to build a better baseball IQ here. And on all of our shows, uh, just like we do here on the Hot Corner, just prepare as we begin. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball and sports in general and life. We get into that a lot here on this show because this program has no time for the little comfortable lies that are being passed out there. So we hit you right between the eyes with stuff, and we, we know you appreciate it. So with that, Sal, welcome back to your show. Always, uh, I always buckle my seatbelt and put my helmet on for this one. Uh, great to be here. I look forward to it. And yeah. it, that a week goes by so quickly. Yep. Now we get back. I, uh, I I know we've got a few topics here today. We want to make sure we get to our audience, but uh, why don't we start with our our, our favorite city falling? Um, thank God the the Yankees are starting to win again. Hopefully the Mets get healthy. But our uh, our message here to our New York City audience has to do more with plant based diets. Some legislation that's going on out there. So I'll let you kind of riff on that. Well, we I've talked about it, or I writ I wrote about it quite a bit on my Substack, and I read a lot of books and, and articles about this concept of not just vegetarianism, which my phrase is, and I, 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 I'm going to stake a claim to it because I've never seen it used or I've never seen it anywhere else. A vegetarianism is a folly of the rich. You rarely or you never, it's hard to say never, but you never see people that are struggling to make ends meet be proponents of the vegetarian vegan diet. If you go to the fancy food stores, all the whole foods and stores of that ilk and the fancy sections of your maybe higher end grocery stores, they're not catering to every man. They're not catering to the middle class. Uh, they're not catering to the family that's trying to make ends meet. This vegetarian organic boondoggle is aimed at and promoted by it's kind of a mutually uh, abusive relationship the upper class and the mayor of new york city as part of a bigger effort i believe to to control the food supply and and you could call me a conspiracy nut but based on some of the things in the past three or four years that's shown to be true that were considered to be conspiracy nut theories at the beginning i'll I'll wear that mantle proudly that this is an issue to, to control the food supply. And it goes hand in hand with the lab grown meat because that's all protein based. And I'm sorry, plant based. It's they, they want protein that comes from a plant, which 
doesn't occur in nature in a way that is efficient or effective to the human system. So New York, with rising crime rate to the point where murders, violent crimes, and the overall crime rate are up well over 30%, especially since this Mayor Adams has taken office, he's more concerned with trying to get people to reduce their carbon footprint as expressed by their their diet and move to this plant-based diet. Did did I see more too about them monitoring the amount of meat being bought? Yeah, they, they're going to. So this is how tyrants work. They present this information as it's going to be a voluntary program. But when you actually look at their ideas, it's all based on coercion and ultimately restriction of the supply, which is which, which is what this is all about, Dave. We have spoken about it, that this lab grown meat is an effort by big tech to control the food supply. And again, this is going to be intellectual property. This is going to be patented, this system of growing meat in a lab. So you can't go out and produce your own meat that way. It's going to be done by big tech, big business, big food will probably join with big tech in this effort. And it's going to make us all sicker and more beholden to the powers that be. You know, we have more than enough data to show that uh, a diet low in protein and vegetarian-based diet is not good for you. There's a reason soy milk formula is banned, soy-based formula is banned for infants in some places because they've shown the horrendously negative side effects and end effects that come from depriving kids of essential fat that comes from saturated fat that comes from animal products. And does this, is this connected? I'm I'm guessing yes, but just want to get your, your thoughts on it. Is this somehow connected to the, the legislation that they're trying to impose on farmland now, or that, that would be obviously where we would produce. Yes. There's gotta be something beyond this move to suggest that people eat a plant-based diet. There, there, there is something nefarious afoot. And again, people are going to want to con- accuse us of being tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorists. But when you try to connect these dots, it doesn't draw a picture that makes you comfortable. You know, the, the uh, restriction of farmland, the use of the sale of farmland to foreign entities. It's it's going to be a problem. And, you know, I'll go back and say, you watch these survival show, Dave's survival shows. I'm a big fan of Survivor. I've watched it on Netflix. I didn't watch it uh, as a network show. I watch it on Netflix or Naked and Afraid or some of these other wilderness survival based shows. People are never dying for a salad. People don't die for a nice asparagus spear. They're dying for a hamburger. They're dying for protein. And some of these contestants that go on these shows as purported vegetarianism, uh, as purported vegetarians, kind of reveal themselves as frauds because they're not thriving in this environment where there's plenty of plants to eat and there's no real protein. So it's making us sicker. It will make us sicker. It makes people more compliant. It affects your cognitive abilities when you're deprived 
of these essential nutrients that come from animal fat and animal protein. So this is just a way, again, to control the population, make us sicker, make us more dependent on products we need to buy from whomever we need to buy them from. Yeah, so it sounds like much like a lot of the other stuff we've dealt with in the past, I don't want to just say three years, I know it's been going on longer than that, but uh, legislation combined with corporations, combined with media, uh, tend to have a nice little cycle and then they filter into our uh, our higher ed system to create four nice pillars to put this flat little, as you called it, tyrannical push towards us. Now they're focused on plant-based, uh, what, lab, lab-made lab Lab-grown and plant-based protein. Yeah. And, and by the way, that Beyond Meat, which was the first move that was made to shove this stuff down our throats, both literally and figuratively, has been a failure. Uh, That lab-based meat, that was this, we all saw, it's still on menu somewhere, Beyond Meat. Beyond The the business side of it is a failure. They they can't make money. No one wants to invest in it. No one wants to eat it. It tastes like garbage. It's as highly processed of a food source as anything available. What you have to do to that, quote, pea protein to make it edible and to give it nutrient value is so disgusting that it's such a turnoff. It's no wonder that people haven't warmed to it. I think burger still has the beyond burger. It's like an $11 hamburger. Um, what, what do you know any of the particulars about some of the things they have to do to the meat that you could share with the audience or is that due to the the protein to the pea protein? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a chemical process. They, they bombard that, that pea protein, whatever the base of that is, it's a chemical process that involves heating it. And there's several stages to make it edible. It's just like what, you know, soy protein, Dave, was soy products were not edible. Soy soy was used as, as a solvent and it was used for industrial purposes. That is another highly processed food. We've talked on the show before about canola oil. Canola oil is made with industrial strength, chemicals to make it palatable. So there's all these foods that have been sold to the population as being healthier and they're as disgustingly processed with horrendous items, solvent, uh, the chemical uh, chemicals and solvent that are industrial scale solvents used to make food edible. It's, it boggles the mind that it's been going on for so long and it's still so unfamiliar to most people that eat this stuff. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm glad you share that. Um, I have a kind of a, a small view on that, and it, it follows your thoughts on it, but I like how you deep dive it for our audience. And just I know we, we, we've asked you to talk about this before. Just just give them, before we move on to our next topic, the one big push on why protein is so important. Well, protein is the only macronutrient that will develop muscle tissue. So we have all these stories. Again, you, you go if you have any kind of... Google history, when you go to the Google search page, I get two or three articles a day that are suggested to me that have to do with how people don't get enough, or or, I'm sorry, people have uh, seniors lose muscle mass. And the articles always seem to revolve around you have to lift weights to develop the muscle mass. Well, that's missing a step. You need to lift weights, you need to eat protein, and that'll develop muscle mass. Or you need to be active. You don't even need to really lift a lot of weight to develop that muscle mass. 
and to maintain your muscle mass. It, we're not even talking about developing it anymore. You just want to maintain it. So without those proteins in your, those animal-based protein in your, in your diet, you are never going to be able to be as healthy and as capable as you need to be because you're not going to be able to maintain that muscle mass. I'll give people this one more time. And the book to read is Sacred Cows because it does a phenomenal job of spelling it out for the layman. It the, the cattle producing industry, what they're doing is they're using land that despite what you've been told about cattle farming, the cattle are on land that's not suitable for any other crops in 90% of the cases. The cows and cattle eat things that cannot be eaten and digested by other animals. They process it by taking in water and sunlight, solar power, and turn that unedible cellulose, that's basically what they're eating from the field, and they turn that into protein that help us all thrive and survive. So there's no better model of using our environment in its best possible way to produce endless amounts of food that are healthy, that's going to help us survive and thrive. No, I like that. So that's perfect for our, our audience to, to grab onto. And of course, a natural transition from plant-based meat in the province of New York City is, of course, transgenders in cycling. Of right? course. So kind of throw, <laughs> I'll kind of throw that out to let you catch our audience up to what's going on. We have talked about the cycling world and the swimming world and 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 whatnot, and uh, let you catch our audience up to, to what what you've uncovered and discovered and, and kind of share our thoughts on that. Well, I just, uh, you know, and it's interesting to me, the, the sports that are getting into this, you know, with the exception of the swimming at, at the NCAA level at the championship level, it's, it's a lot of these, and this is not a, den, this is not a negative about the sport, but it's on these, some of these fringe sports. You have a lot of these strongman competition. I'm sorry. These, I, I guess you're going to have to call them strong people competition. Would that be better? And like cycling, which is a big sport, but it's still a fringe sport as far as the populace goes. And there has been these trans women competing in the female division. And we're at the point now, the article basically, after you read the headline, that says it all. British cycling bans trans women from female category. It It is a tacit admission that trans women have a need to be in their own category. Women have their category. Men have their category. Let's have trans women have their category. I think it's a very simple solution. And to read the article and go through the steps of the writing this article, it, it, it's self-evident what this is about. It's the obvious that I, I'm, I'm at the point I don't think it needs to be discussed anymore. You read the headline, that says it all. They uh, Another governing body has come to the conclusion that they've come to their, or, and they've come to their senses and trans women don't belong in the category with women. Let's set up a trans category. That seems like the simple solution to me. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I, we talked about it pre-show and I'll have to verify this, but I just thought I saw where Riley Gaines uh, settled uh, with the NCA, or at least they've offered a settlement of uh, one point, I think it was 1.2 million for damages to her career and her post-swimming legacy. And that's an admission of 
wrongdoing, I would say, at least in part. Sure. And there's, uh, there's the, you know, if that's the case, then that's a pretty big, that is a pretty big admission right there. I mean, that says more than we can say discussing it any further. Yeah. And unfortunately they can't go back in time and do it. And it's, you know, you like that people have the, the mindset to think these things through before they, they need jerk it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that the, that she has, and maybe the, the cycling has a lot to do with her speaking up and, and taking this challenge on. And, and she's really taking on, she's, she's really taking head on some other famous female athletes in doing this. Well, that was the, that was the, Big thing we talked about, I think, a couple of weeks ago that she said she was going to reach out, especially to these younger athlete, younger women athletes that are going to have and or could possibly have daughters of their own that could face the negative consequences of letting this ridiculous trend go unchecked. So we've already seen some pushback, and, and I think it's just a matter of time before. This is one of the things I am slightly optimistic about because I think it is beyond the the I, I don't even think I could come up with a good way to describe it. It's just so beyond the concept of what you would think you would even need to have to argue about. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping we do get some headway in this in that Everybody has their own category and can compete fairly in their own category. Yeah. And I, I, again, I'm a dad of two daughters and my wife played, you know, high level division one college basketball. My, my biggest fear is that, you know, and again, this is sports, but also in the world that the more we make the idea of being a woman conceptual, that the, the, the more chance that, that category is not going to exist either. So I'm kind of hopeful like you are that this movement to having an, a, their own category is a, a movement forward to say, okay, being a woman is not conceptual. It's actually reality. Being a man is a reality. And then there's, you know, what we're, what we're going through right now would change with, with transgender athletes, but I don't see athletes transitioning from woman to man. I see it some, from man to woman. So, I mean, is that, is that indication that there's an obvious advantage? And going one way as opposed to the other. Uh, not only that, Dave, but they have it even completely. The, the more here, here in trying to be fair, the more the more ridiculous part of that what you just brought up is that you have p- people like this Leah Thomas who was a male in every other regard. He, he had he had not even begun the process that would really make. Could could make a difference physiolog- physiologically. That you're you're getting these uh, identifiers as being trans. So you're not even getting the person who's had a surgery who really has gone in. I'm I'm not going to use the the phrase I was going to use because it would be funny, but I don't want to go there. But who have gone in fully and completed the process. That that would be. The case, if you want to make the case for the trans woman competing, the, that would be the person who's completed the transition. In my, my, in my opinion, when I first heard this, my thought was c- completely different than the reality that this Leah Thomas still had full male 
equipment and was just grew his hair out and decided to swim as a woman. So, that, so that that's, see, that's, that's even the crazier piece of it. We're getting these males who are deciding to identify as a woman or a younger girl if it's high school and being able to compete against girls and women. So to me, that's the even more ridiculous thing about this. Yeah, and I, from what I understand from following uh, Riley Gaines' situation, and we're talking about uh, cycling right now, but one of her issues, in addition to the, the competitive side of it, was there was a changing room situation where they weren't even forewarned. And, you know, as, as you, you put it, there was, uh, there was still you know, parts intact, let's just say. And that was uh, a major violation personal violation, not just to her, but to the other female swimmers that they just thought they were, they, they weren't even warned about it. And I think she, she asked somebody about it and they gave her some crude response. And I, I'll have to pull that up. I'll put it in the the notes online, but gave her some crude response that offered no sensitivity to her side of it to say, we weren't warned. We're female bodies. We're changing in front of it's, you know, it's, and they, they basically made it look like it was all restrooms or unisex, which meant any male could walk in now to their changing room, which yes, and it's, the, it's the biological female who is that has to go seek out other accommodations. It's not. So how does, again, where is the consistency in that approach? There is none because, because it's a totally illogical pro, uh, process here. And to, you know, I think what happens is Dave, so many people fall on the crutch, rely on the crutch of calling things Orwellian I know a lot of people haven't read 1984 and fewer than of the ones who've read it don't understand it. This is where you're getting into the essence of what he was writing about, that you get to the point where words and language is meaningless because you'll get a generation of people that no longer will not, not only know the words, but won't understand the concepts behind those words, which is the real danger. Well, I mentioned those four pillars earlier, and that's that's where they connect is the changing of the language, and they just make it make it commonplace. So, no, I think great. I was glad you brought that topic up. So, to kind of go back to where we started, the cycling, they're actually going to have their own category now. No, I don't know that. I'm just, and, and I have to tell you, I have a little fatigue with this. Aside from being willing to stand up for the fact that women should be able to compete against women and shouldn't have to fight off this incursion of the trans women. I don't really care if the women, if they get it, if they want to give them a separate category, that's fine with me. Uh, to me, it doesn't warrant much more of my bandwidth other than to say, I think it would be a good idea if they had it and let's let, let the uh, organizations handle it. The organizations and I, as Riley's doing, the women have to stand up and fight for yeah. what they want. And I go through that sometimes. I, I hear that. I heard it recently with the WNBA where, um, you know, complaints about attendance. And my question was, why is that my problem? You know, why is attendance, why am I, why is a male, why is a male, am I being yelled at for the WNBA? I don't, you know, it's not my, it's not my thing. If women want it, go watch it. There's enough, you know, women occupy 51% of the population. Go watch it, go, you know, promote it, go support the other women playing. And that support will result in higher revenue or revenue at all, I should say. And as a result, when you make more money, they players get paid more. And I'm all about, you know, making as much money as you possibly can as an athlete. But, 
you know, when you're, when you're playing in front of 300 people, you have to justify those salaries. So yeah, it's, it's a fight that I'm aware of. I support, you know, in, in regards to that. And I'm with the dad of two daughters. I'm, I hope WNBA players get paid more, but you know, I hope that they fix this transgender situation with athletics. But well, uh, you know, yeah. on, on, on that subject, I, I think there's, there's just some sports that are better to watch whether it's high school or, or college or professional women play. I think if you, you, I, I challenge anybody to find a better sport to watch from athleticism, from the level of skill, from the level of aggression and effort than NCAA women's volleyball. I, I put that up that up there with any sport with, as far as athleticism being exciting with a legitimate crowd involved and people there who want to watch it and people who are not even involved with the sport watch it. I think women's softball fits that bill, especially now we're into the playoffs. This is always a, a, a fun time to watch that. I think that's a great sport to watch. There, I think I'm not a huge golf fan, but watching women's golf is not – to me, is not a golf expert, not that much different because you don't get a lot of the, sen- the sense of the things that they actually are doing out in the real world. So you could watch someone has a nice swing. They hit a nice shot. It might not be as far and uh, the other things that golfers care about. So this is not uh, I'm prejudiced against women or I have something against women. Women playing basketball on the same size court with the same size basket. It's not the same sport as men's basketball. How how is it, Dave, that the women who play volleyball, you watch that game, it's indistinguishable from the men's game as far as the athleticism, the spiking, the incredible rallies, the all the things that are involved with the sport. It is the in fact the same game. Watch a women's basketball game and watch a men's basketball game at any level, and they're two different sports. Is now, and I don't know much about. Is volleyball played on the same size court, men and women? I don't know. I don't know if they've made adjustments. But my point is, I don't care as a spectator, and, and, and as someone who really, not to put myself in it, but like I have a fine eye for athleticism and watching competition and appreciating competition, as most of us do. That that's one of the best things you could watch. If you're any kind of sports fan and you're you're not into watching the women's volleyball, then I think that you're really not as much of a sports fan as you think you are. Yeah, that's, uh, that those are those are fair points. You can't that. tell me, you know, it's not to touch on the racial thing, but you're, you're going to have people that are going to tell you you're racist, which is why you don't like LeBron or a certain player, ignoring the fact that you love Michael Jordan or you love Julius Irving or your, your posters of – my posters I had on my wall were, you know, Julius Irving and David Thompson and – Guys on the ABA, that's how old I am, on the ABA Nets with Julius Irving and then when he was in the NBA. I, you know, so you can't, you, just like you can't say it's a prejudice against women why I don't watch the WNBA. I don't watch the WNBA because it's boring. I watch other women's sports because they're, they're exciting and it's a, good way, it's a good way to spend my time. Yeah, I, I have, and again, I, I've never played. I'm not a tennis person. I don't play tennis, but... I enjoy watching both tennis and Agree. Yep, I, I see. Uh, I see similarities, and I, I understand totally that you know the difference between the speed and whatnot. But I can't recognize it. My eye can't recognize it. You know, when I'm watching 
you know, either gender. So I'll um, agree a hundred percent as a spectator sport, women's tennis, I'll watch that and then enjoy it. I'm not an aficionado, but again, you can appreciate the athleticism and the fact that it looks like tennis. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, with, with our, our third topics kind of segueing, and, and I, I always love this cause it, it gets back into, you know, people being out in space and whatnot, but you, you've got a message for our audience and want to hit on uh, something that relates to getting off equipment and getting out in space. Yeah. You know, the, the, one of the biggest problems in fitness and it's not just training for a sport, it's, it's a fat, especially a problem if you're training for sport is the reliance on equipment, whether it be a treadmill or other cardio piece of equipment. Um, the, selectorized machines that have you sitting down again. I think we may have touched about touched on some of these things with the pull downs and seated row. There are some pieces of equipment that are good, but by and large, you can give me an exercise that people use in a, a piece of equipment for, and I could give you five alternatives that don't use a machine that are superior. One of, one of the worst pieces of, of equipment, and this could be something we, we talk about from time to time, but one of my pet peeves, worst pieces of equipment ever is what's known as the Smith machine. Are you familiar with the Smith machine? Yeah. A lot of people will use that in place of the squat rack. Um, you know, yeah. it's, got, it's kind of guided down um, in that vertical sense. I'll do it with the bench press as well. And from my standpoint, I, I've used it in the past, but it really takes away the importance of balancing. Well, it's, it's worse than that, Dave. It puts you in a position that where you don't move when you do a squat with a barbell and the barbell is across your back, you're not moving in a linear fashion. You're you're there's a curvature. There's an arc to the path that that bar takes based on the dimensions of your body, whether it's the length of your, uh, of your lower leg, the weight, the length of your upper leg, the length of your torso, all the width of your hips, all of those things, result in that bar not traveling on a straight linear movement in that in the uh, in the in the vertical plane you're, you're not moving straight so that what people think it's safer is actually worse because that Smith machine is forcing your body to move in a way that your body is not meant and built to move yeah no I, is there anything that the Smith machine is positive for no no, it's a big it's a big waste of space. What what are I know you mentioned the squat rather than use let's say the Smith machine for I know we don't like the bench press much but rather than use a Smith machine for squat or lunge what are alternatives two to three alternatives to the Smith an alternative to the Smith machine yeah a regular squat with the you don't even have to have a back squat you could have a front squat which is a much safer alternative which is where you hold the bar in what's called the rack position, which means it's it's in your hands, but it's in the front of your body, up under your chin, across your collarbone. You know, and you don't need a barbell. You could use dumbbells for that. You don't need to load up that bar and, and force yourself into a back squat position. But for those of you who like to do that, don't use the Smith machine. Use the regular squat rack. Learn how to squat properly. That's part of the problem we have is that you're now taking this movement that is a great out in free space movement, such as the squat, where your body has all of these joint and muscle connections to 
use to make that movement work for the individual, you're now taking that away because you're being forced to move in this up straight up and down position, this straight vertical plane movement with the bar fixed on an axis that you're not meant to move on. So, and the other, the other ways to time exercise I've seen, this is a huge Instagram thing and it's a bill of goods that's been sold to women. They think they're getting their butt firmer, bigger, stronger, whatever. It's these hip thrusters where you lay on your back, you put the bar across your hips and you sink your hips to the ground and then you thrust your hips up to the ceiling and your back is elevated, your feet are, legs are bent, your feet are on the floor. That's again, a great example of the nonsense in fitness that is so pervasive that it becomes the prevailing exercise. I cannot tell you every time I go to the gym, there are women and men do it too, but it's mostly women in that position, whether it's they're using a barbell or they're using the Smith machine, doing these hip thrusters to build their glutes. Um, one of the most important, if not the most important factors in determining what exercises you're going to use to train is the effect of gravity. So your glute and let's say the muscles of your hip, just to make it less technical, but let's say your glute and your, your butt muscles and the muscles of your hip are built to work with us standing on two feet, right? We walk around on two feet. So to turn yourself on your back, support yourself with something under your back to have the bar across your hips, across your waistline, and then to be moving up and down completely changes how gravity affects your body and what those muscles do in response to being in a different position. So I know it sounds kind of crazy, but at the end of the day is you're, you're meant to work and move up on your, on your two feet. Changing your body position completely changes how exercises work and being on your back and doing a hip thrust does not really work your glutes. It's a very inefficient way. How about the treadmill? What's, it, what's your thoughts on the treadmill? The treadmill is great if you're warming up, you're going for a walk, it's freezing outside, it's raining outside. There are way better. The best cardio machine is the bike because it doesn't interfere with your movement patterns, especially for athletes, when you're on a treadmill, when you're running or walking, it doesn't matter. Your muscles are not doing what they do when you're on solid ground. So the worst thing is your hamstring. That's why there's a lot of people who run on treadmills who then have hamstring, hamstring problems when they have to go out and navigate the earth because your hamstring is just one of the muscles, but it's the major muscle that is doing something completely opposite on the treadmill as what it needs to do when you're on the ground and, and on earth. We'll talk, expound on that a little bit for our audience. I think that's, I, I you know, you see on people on the treadmill all the time, they, I kind of joke, it's like they're doing the ballet jog. You know, they're going to get their, the ballet going to get their car. But the, the hamstring issue, especially with, we, we're on female athletes a lot today, but a lot of knee injuries, um, with with athletes in general, some of that's attributed to poor distribution of weakness of hamstrings. What what about the treadmill? As well, it's just, to, it's just to, to simplify it, Dave. It's you're not none of the force that your hamstring has to contend with when you're actually running on the ground. Your hamstring's not encountering that when you're on the treadmill because what's underneath you, the bed of the treadmill is moving. 
So there is a minuscule comparison of force in the one situation where you're on the treadmill when versus what your hamstring and the rest of your body has to contend with when you're on the ground. You're, when you're on not on the treadmill, when you're running on a track or on the field, that hamstring is dealing with, you know, bending the knee, extending the hip, rotating the hip. When you're on a treadmill, it's you're just lifting the foot up and letting the ground underneath you move and putting your foot back on the ground again. It's not propelling you in any sense that equates to what happens to you when you're on the or when you're on the ground. Yeah, no resistance. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it pulls, you're, you're, it's literally pulling that leg backward on the ground. When you're on a treadmill, that pull, the need for your, for your hamstring to pull is minimized because the treadmill is moving. I, uh, and I, I'm, I'm not a big treadmill person. In fact, I, I avoid it at all costs. I have done treadmill backwards sometimes just to work on distribution to try to engage the hamstrings. A little bit. Uh, you better, we'll, we'll do that on the ground because you're not doing the same. It, it's not the same thing. Walk on. We'll find a hallway and walk on. Walk outside backwards. That's. Backward. I mean, it's, if you're walking forwards or backwards, it doesn't matter. Your your body is not going to do the same thing on the treadmill as it does on as it needs to do when you're not on the treadmill when you're on Earth. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be afraid of the strange looks. I get enough when people are walking by the window, seeing me in the wrong direction. So, but, um, what, what other, what other, give, give us one more exercise or platform like Smith machine or treadmill that people commonly use. I know we talked about the butt thrust too, but one more that they commonly use. It's a big misnomer about getting production. Well, the elliptical trainer is again, that's become, a, that became the, Step next step in the evolution from the old stairmaster. The there was a, the two kinds of stairmasters. Ones the one had the the small pedals and it was a, a smaller profile machine and you could move your feet in opposition and that was how you kept your yourself from sinking and having both pedals. So you, there was a pace you had to maintain. Then there was the, the better version of that was the, oh gosh, the name of it just went out of my head, but it looked like a small mini escalator where you actually had to pick your feet up and put it on the step. That was a very popular machine. It's still around. Uh, the elliptical has kind of become the easier version of those. The elliptical is terrible because your ankle doesn't, we talk, we've talked on the show for since the beginning about how people have poor range of motion in their ankle. When you look at the position the ankle, knee, and hip is in when you're in the elliptical, when you're on the elliptical, it really is not good because the joint doesn't articulate. It doesn't move the way it's supposed to. So, yeah, I have a lot of people that are, love the elliptical. They have a lot of calf and ankle problems when we do things like you're supposed to do on the ground. So uh, those are those machines are all easy, which is why when you go into a gym, there's 40 ellipticals and there's two rowers and there's six bikes because the bikes are better the bikes can get your heart rate up especially the old school ergometer or the what i have is a uh, version of the, the bike that has the fan as the front wheel with the arm cranks that is the in my opinion the gold standard of cardiovascular equipment because it doesn't get in the way of a movement pattern that you need to be good at 
with uh, a running with with a field or a court sport. You know, you can get on that bike, do a, a high intensity workout, will incredibly improve your cardiovascular system and not interfere with a movement pattern such as your running pattern that you would need to do uh, on some other equipment. So short of getting out and sprinting, the bike is the next best thing. Swimming is also great. I, I always include swimming in that. The thing too about the bike is I have had athletes that have had soft tissue injuries, back, groin, hamstring, that for whatever reason, the bike does not bother it. So it's a great way to maintain your condition that will keep you in shape if you have to go out and, and do another activity, it can keep your cardiovascular system humming. I'm glad you mentioned rowing too. How, how do you feel about the rowing machines? Because as I as a college athlete, I was a two-sport athlete, baseball and basketball, in terms of the dominant muscles used in the sport, there, they, there couldn't be two worse sports to play, I think, uh, multiple sports. In. And so your body goes through craziness. Rowing, I found for me, was a great um, way to keep the balance between the two. So I, I used to choose that as an alternative if I was not running that day or if I was not sprinting on the court. I never used the treadmill, bike, any of that stuff. Um, and I, I, uh, I would swim a little bit, but I'm not a, I'm not a great swimmer, but I, I, that is great exercise. Rowing now, the, the rowers actually tried to adopt me and try to get me to go out for rowing as well because I was 160 pounds on a good day. And I was a point guard and a second baseman, so they thought natural leader. That's the that's the little guy they put at the front of the boat, the coxswain, they call it. Um, right. So, what, what's your what's your thoughts on the rowing machine or rowing in general? Uh, I like it. I think it's an effective machine. It's boring. It's not for the beginner because you need to be able to maintain proper posture. You need to have a strong torso to maintain the proper position and not have that rounded back, which is never good. And People are usually not strong enough to do that and do it properly. So you have to start in small doses. And some, for some people want to do something for 20 minutes, you're not the average person just isn't going to be able to do that. And it's great for interval training, though, because if you're the type that is strong enough and don't really want to spend 20 minutes on the rower, you could do a, a two to four minute workout on that that could kick your butt and, and, um, in a short period of time, which to me is the Holy grail. Can, what's the least amount of time I could spend working out and getting the most benefit from it. Right. That's why I love jump rope so much. I could jump rope for, for 13 to 15 minutes. It's like going out and doing a run for 45 with my heart, 45 to an hour. So I love jump rope. Not a lot of people like doing it cause it's hard. It's yeah. Hard again, that's another one that people, do it for 30 seconds and whether it's mentally or physically, they don't have it to stick with it. That was something I used to do quite a bit of. Now I use it more again on a short term interval uh, basis. Yeah. Two minutes. It'll wake you up in the morning. You do two yes, minutes without a doubt. Well, we went, I'll tell you what, this may have been our most eclectic rotation here of topics from plant-based, which is the folly of the rich. I'm going to make sure you get tagged on that. We're going to popularize that vegetarianism quote and then, Went into some trans cycling and, uh, you know, get off equipment, get out in space. And I always like to pick your brain on books. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you impromptu here. I know you're always reading, you're always doing books on tape or, or reading old school style. What, what book would you recommend for me and our audience this week to get on? 
All right. Well, it's uh, it's a book called Cobalt Red, and it might make some people uncomfortable because it deals with the cobalt mining operation that is based in the um, the democratic is it the democratic nation of the Congo? Den- I'm sorry, Democratic Republic of the Congo, and it's by uh, a fellow by the name of Siddharth Kara, and it talks about the really horrendous human abuse, both child labor and slavery, that goes into the mining of cobalt, which everybody needs for their smartphones and tablets, but especially, Dave, those people who are saving the earth, the electronic vehicle crowd. The electronic vehicle batteries use massive amounts of this cobalt which is mined, uh, they, I think they said 75% of the world's cobalt is in this small region of this small country in Africa. And basically, you have this slave, slave labor that is responsible for much of the cobalt that makes its way into the supply chain. And how while there are major mining concerns that are involved with their own set of horrendous environmental side effects that this, what they call, it's very, it's very, uh, it's disturbing. They call it artisanal, artisanal mining, which makes you think, oh, it's some niche mining. No, it's people with rebar and shovels and hand tools digging this stuff out of the earth and putting them into bags and selling them on this, in this marketplace. So it's a real eye opener. Um, it, it puts the whole concept of somehow we're saving the environment by using these electronic devices and these electric batteries. It's just another way to power things, but it's not any better than what we have. So it, it and it's at a, a, a amazing human cost. And I'm just in the first, you know, maybe quarter of the book. So it, it, a cobalt red, I recommend everyone pick it up. Awesome. I've, I've followed your recommendations each week, so I encourage our audience to do so as well and allow them to think think along with the podcast in, in some capacity. Well, any parting shots for our audience? I've kept you here for almost well over 45 minutes now. No, I think we, we gave them enough of me today, Dave. All right. Well, there's I don't know if there's ever enough, Sal, but I, I appreciate all you do for this show. It's it's unique. It's it's I mean, it's it's filled with content and I know our audience loves it. So to that audience, 18,000, I should say, 200 subscribers. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We're battling those podcast analytics much like they do in baseball. Sal will keep being able to give you great content every week if you keep doing that for him. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, we can, you can find us. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know, Sal, Instagram is where he puts a lot of his content, so make sure you get with Sal on Instagram. 72 countries, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. We've got the ear of the right people. We're just trying to build better baseball IQs, sports IQs, and in this show, life IQs. And as we promise, uh, as you tune in, always prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball, sport, life, um, because this program, like all our others, really has no time for the comfortable lies. And for Sal, this is episode, can you believe we're on episode 191? Wow. 191. 191, and this is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. And sure you got nothing parting shots to give to them? Just looking forward to next week. I hope everyone has a good three-day weekend. Oh, here's one, Dave. 
Watch the uh, NCAA men's and women's lacrosse championships this weekend. ESPN has it. Uh, the semis are tomorrow. And uh, um, yes, the semis are tomorrow and the finals are Monday. Did you make your way out to one of them last weekend? I did. Another? I was down in Annapolis. It was an awesome setting. If anyone's at, if you haven't been to Annapolis, the Naval Academy, I recommend it. It's an awesome stadium. If you ever have an event or uh, the opportunity to go to an event there, I recommend that. Fantastic uh, sight lines. They have a great st- field, a replay screen, and the games were great. And uh, this weekend, you're going to see the four best teams play down to the two best teams. And on Monday, we'll have a winner, and that's in both the men's and women's. Yeah, that was uh, one of my recruiting visits as an ath- a student athlete way back when, Army and Navy. I chose Army, so I don't know if they want me back there. <laughs> so, but beautiful campus, beautiful, as well as Air Force. So thanks again, Sal. We appreciate you. The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Here, have a good weekend, guys. She gave him us worth more than anything. They don't know what they got till it's gone.